Keegan, how's it going, man? It's going good. It's going good. Football. So what's so funny is that since I have not been covering the team and I'm not like asking questions and like, you know, at this point, usually you get this, like at this point, usually every year you're like checking in with all the people that you know to try to get as much information ahead of fall camp, like who's hurt, who's not, who's going to be limited, who's not. Um, and it's been weird. And I've been duped. I thought they were starting practice today. I was told that from a couple people that cover the team that they were starting practice today, but today was report day and they start practice tomorrow. So I'm already, that should show all of our listeners that most of you know me or all the listeners of this pod, the most of you know me, I'm out of the game and I kind of okay. enjoy it. <laughs> um, well, yes, practice probably as people listening to this practice is uh, underway or started, I guess, but uh, they did have a very electric Instagram story of the elite. Every little inch takes effort, I think, or something like that. Anyway, I don't know. It was something it like it was like E L I T E. This is off to a great start. They have Brent, they have they have a <laughs> they have acronyms for everything. And I think it's everything awesome. has think, an acronym. It's great. It and I saw a tweet today too that uh I should give him some credit. I think it's like that turnip he calls himself like turnip seed. It's like PFF oil. I forgot what his thing is, his Twitter name. Or oh, anyway, PFF he, drill. There it is. Yes, that the, guy. The best Twitter funny. on OU Twitter. He's pretty funny. So he sent that tweet out like all 130 schools should do that. And in my head, I'm like, should think about that because the counterpoint is, is what if your team sucks and you do that and you get turned into a yeah. meme on the internet? You can't. No, you can't do that. You can't. That That is one thing that it's like, it's kind of like with the turnover chain. You better be leading the country in turnovers if you're going to have some prop. You better be a badass. Yes. 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 Maybe maybe don't run onto the field with a sledgehammer. I don't know. Um, just just some thoughts. But we're not here to talk about sledgehammers or the elite weigh-in, which was very cool. If you didn't see it, I posted it on my Twitter. OU had a boxing-style main event weigh-in for their players post-Schmitty, essentially. And... You know, didn't we? It's not like they announced all the numbers to us, but you know, Key Lawrence being over two hundred, you can live with that. So, uh, I mean, that, that's about all we got from it. And a very animated uh, Miguel, I almost said Michelle Miguel uh, Chavis, but uh, it's a uh, it's a good time for Oklahoma football. At least I think the weird thing about this Keegan and kind of going back to what you were saying about the the acronyms and everything like that. There's a very I don't mean this in a derogatory way. There's a very kind of just like grassroots kind of like almost high school football-esque kind of approach just in, in terms of the buy-in and a lot of the motivational tactics that you're seeing. It just, that's what it feels like to me. And I don't think it's a bad thing. I think that if you're an Oklahoma fan who's been clamoring for OU to get back to its roots, you're probably loving right now. Um, it's not quite the, you know, CEO kind of very flashy style of the Lincoln Riley era. So it's very different. But with that comes how good is the football team going to be? And the reason we bring on Keegan today, friend of the pod, to discuss Oklahoma football, but to talk about expectations, because Keegan, I know you're heavily on Twitter, just as I am. It's all over the place. I mean, and I think that there are certain, obviously, sections of college football Twitter that think that Oklahoma is going to go 10 and 2, 
probably compete for a Big 12 title. I don't think anyone's really thinking they're going to be a playoff contender. At least I haven't seen that. And then there's another faction that thinks the program's dead. I want to try to find somewhere in the middle where we can reasonably talk about this team. And I guess the first thing I should ask you, because, and I know people probably that listen to through the keyhole or listen to you on the franchise, probably get your overall thoughts, but just as kind of, a, just to kind of set the table a little bit here, how, how do you, how have you felt about eight months in nine months in, I should say to the Brent Venables experience as we are officially, as we record this a month away from college football. Nothing has changed all that much. And I think that that, it should speak volumes more to, to kind of want to like pat myself on the back or anything. But like when this change happened, I looked at the 2022 season as I really don't care what happens. Like I, regardless of anything that happens now, I also sat in the same position a year ago and said that same thing about Texas and Texas that I didn't care that they're going to, you know, I, I think Sark's going to be able to, you know, in terms of talent, talent acquisition, I think he's starting, you're starting to figure out like, yes, Texas has the resources to go get the guys that are different that, you know, the people that Oklahoma fans want. Right. And so it, I don't, I, again, history, I, hopefully for everybody's sake, doesn't repeat itself from my end, but you looked at where Oklahoma was at, like, and you're looking at heading into the season. And at least in my head, I l always go back and look at kind of where things were at a year ago to get a set of baseline expectation for where things will go. And I think it's really easy, obviously, for my end that my general manager is Parker Fleming, which is stats of war, which again, I know who is at war with Oklahoma Twitter. It's still great information. Oklahoma's passing efficiency deep in, in terms of defense last year was like 123rd in the country of 130 teams like some basic structure and ability to adjust is going to help improve that now their run defense was elite a year ago and that was because the defensive line was so dominant they you basically they dominated the line of scrimmage and that allowed them to be a very good run defending team. I think at one point I said during last season, Joe, do you remember that teams that decided to run the football against Oklahoma, every time they ran it, they were losing chances to win the game. That's how good Oklahoma's run defense was. And so those two things will regress in the right in the directions they should. And obviously people are hoping the run defense isn't going to, you know, regress to a point where it's a liability like the past defense was a year ago, but there should be a happy medium in there, right? So the defense should improve just by default. And I think the that's probably the biggest question on that side of the football of how far is that jump? Because if you look at SP+, it's one of the biggest, they're the second most improved defense in the country this season in the Power Five. And that is just a massive leap right? Considering the fact that they did lose all that talent on the defensive line and the guys that they you know, did get back in, guess experienced, are they NFL bodies like the guys you left? No. You know, that defense drove with the Laren Turnell was a lot different when he was playing opposed to when he was not. That defense when Isaiah Thomas and Nick Benito and Perron Winfrey were on the field was very good. And so there is that balance that you have to fight of, okay, how good is this defense going to improve? They will improve. Just to what margin do they? Do they? And so you have that. I think you have to account for offensively. I believe that the weight room 
that the strength conditioning stuff with Jerry Schmidt. Again, I think there's a happy medium between all the stuff OU fans are saying, all the stuff that college football, like you said, that that are saying. Um, the offensive line should improve, I think, by default as well. I I do believe that. I think the offensive tackles will get better, and that's the key. Like things have looked a lot different since Cody Ford and Bobby Evans and Orlando Brown were walking around Norman. They just have, and that's nothing against R.J. Proctor. It's nothing against Eric Swenson. That's nothing against uh, Tyrese Robinson. It's not. It's just it's very obvious that those guys didn't develop into the players that people thought they could be. Um, Bray Walker's a five star, by the way. He's still on campus, and so. I think the offensive line should get better by default. And I agree with Oklahoma fans from the aspect of, yes, there was some offensive line working out with skill players. Like there's all the stuff you talk about, right? With Schmidt, the difference between Schmidt. And I think Bill Beanbow put hit the nail on the head with, with the, uh, at his media day press conference the other day, like he feels like Jerry Schmidt is more defined the offensive line, like strength and conditioning program. Like it's a more defined, it's more driven towards offensive line development for those offensive linemen. And I think that that is obviously super critical. Now, again, I kind of along the lines I mentioned what about the defense, Joe, you say those two things and then you have to come back and you have to realize, okay, they maybe lost the best player in college football that, that was at quarterback. They lost all their NFL talent on defense. And so where the, all the culture, all the kind of discipline and structure and all that stuff that should help, they're not as talented as they were. And I think that that's the balance people are having a hard time because there's one side saying, okay, they have all these question marks and what if all those things go wrong? And then you have the OU fans on that side saying, okay, here's all the question marks and all these things are going to go right. And obviously there's some middle ground there. Um, and I know we're going to get into like win loss total and all that stuff here in a second, but that's really where I'm at with this team. Like I have valid and I think valid questions about the offensive line after the last three years and those haven't changed. And although I believe they will improve, like I thought the same thing a year ago, right? It's like the thing with the Oklahoma state offense. It's like, there's no way they get worse this year. Okay. They got worse. Okay. There, there's no way they get worse again. So I think that's where the offensive line's at. I, the linebackers have to get better, right? I think a lot of people are saying by default that with Venables and Ted Roof being a linebacker guys, that those guys are going to get improved. They're one of the they were one of the biggest liabilities on the team a year ago, even almost as much as the pass defense. And then obviously corners have to play better. Woody's healthy, that's fantastic for them. Um, but I do think this team has a lot of questions. And I think there are some answers there that you should could feel good about it and assume one way. And then I think there's also some other things that like if the pass defense doesn't take a major step, major step forward, like what does that look like? And so talking to odds makers, talking to people in the sport, talking to people in my neck of the woods in the agency and scouting world, like I think Oklahoma's as big of a mystery from talking to everyone else to them as much as they are to me. And I think that that, I don't know how good that makes me feel because, Joe, as you know about me, I like to figure everything out before it happens. Um, but I think this is truly a wait-and-see kind of year for Oklahoma. And, again, to what you asked at the original question, me being very long-winded here, like, does has that changed my mind at all? Does that it's been, kind of been my stance since the very beginning that they would land a top-ten class because oil and gas is over $100 a barrel 
that donors were going to donate that all of this stuff. And so I, the trajectory Oklahoma was on, um, is certainly, I think hasn't changed in my mind. And I don't think really anything's really changed for me, how I feel about the team. And I do think that there is just so much mystery behind this team, kind of looking at last year, how just, and I don't have the numbers or anything in front of me, but I feel like last year's team had to be like a better's nightmare. And I feel like this team in particular could honestly be a little bit on the more graceful side of things. Cause I just don't think they're going to get bigger as big a spreads as they did last season. When you had the national championship expectations, there were so many games they were going up against teams that I think you and I reasonably can say there are a lot of teams on Oklahoma schedule last year. They should have beaten by three touchdowns and they just didn't. And that was a failure on whoever you can point the finger at whoever you want to point the finger at, but kind of going into this season, the one thing that I think I can kind of keep coming back to is last year's group. And I'm, I'm kind of glad you brought up the point that this team is not as talented as last year. And I think that needs to be said probably a lot over the next month. This team is not as talented as last year's team. Can they still win a big 12 title? I think so. I yes. think that they can make, I think they can make a bowl, like a, a new year six bowl game, but for them to get there, is going to look a little bit like last year in the sense that I think last year's team underachieved and won a bunch of close games. This year's team can overachieve and win a bunch of close games that they necessarily shouldn't win all of them. I think that's going to be a defining factor of the team when you look at the games like Nebraska, Kansas State, Texas early in the schedule. How do they handle uh, some of those tougher tests and not to overlook UTEP or Kent State, which a lot of respect for those group of five programs because they're good in their own right. But Oklahoma has a lot of things to answer. So kind of on that topic, just because I feel like we've both kind of said it already, but for the conversation of Oklahoma winning 10 games competing for a Big 12 title. Is that about as lukewarm as a take? Is, is that is that as reasonable as I think Oklahoma fans or really really anyone who's looking at this team? Is that a reasonable expectation for this for this year's group? I think the hardest thing you have with it, and I it's for everybody, you just you look at the schedule and you go, okay, where are they going to lose at? And you know, I went back and looked at this as well, was like, you know, from feeling just being around the program for the last five to six years. It just didn't feel like they were very good at home. And then I went back and looked at the numbers, Joe, and they're like 28 and two in their last 30 games at home. They're like eight, 17. They're like 18 and 12 against the spread at home and during that same stretch. So basically since uh, Lincoln was the head coach. And so you look at all those things. I figured Oklahoma was going to have a better home field advantage this year. They're probably not going to be booing their starting quarterback by any means. Um, I would I would hope not uh this year so um yeah you know i think that it's hard to see like where the losses are at like in my head like i think kansas state's an awful matchup i think baylor's a bad matchup i think oklahoma state presents some very big problems for oklahoma um but at the same time all three of those games are at home and so you know do they probably go two and one amongst those games yes where is that loss at i don't know um I, I've said this, and I, I people are going to take this the wrong way, but from where the place it's coming from, in 1999, there's been a lot of similarities between what Brent has said and how Oklahoma was acting then. It looked like they had all their tough games at home, 
and all the easier games on the road. They clobbered everyone at home, clobbered them. And they were in every game on the road and, and lost some. They lost to Notre Dame. They lost to Colorado. Uh, and they lost to Texas Tech uh, in Texas and OU Texas. And they went 7-4 in the regular season. In regular season. I wish I had the betting lines. And I knew what those lines were, Joe, because I have a lot better picture of how that season actually went for them. Um, I don't. But from that aspect of like, whatever the expectation is for this year if they go eight and four and i promise you you're gonna know if they're eight and four and showing progress or if it's eight and four and it looks like crap you're gonna know if it's 11 and one and it looks like crap or if it's 11 and one and showing progress like this fan base has seen everything over the last i think decade uh of, of oklahoma football and you look at this season you mentioned something a second ago that i think is super important Last year's team underachieved to a point where it allowed them to go 11 and 2, 10 and 2 in the regular season. This team can overachieve and have similar results to that. And I think that's super important to remember. There could even be a 9 and 3 and you feel good about it. There could even be a, a, a again, like I said, an 8 and 4 and feel good about it. Now, you go 5 and 7 and you lose to Kansas at home, like that's major, mate. You're having major problems. Again, I think Oklahoma's a little more immune to something like that happening than what's happening at Texas. Obviously, there's some people that don't. Uh, we can isolate one. I don't mind dropping Ian Boyd's name on here, but I, I, I think that's crazy. I've said this. I think Oklahoma, like a football program, you can kind of compare them to Apple. If you want to, if you want a short Apple, if you want to sell it, fine. Good luck. Like you think you sold at the top, you didn't. And so Oklahoma's in a, a, a position of strength for the future. Again, isolating the season, it's just it's so cloudy. I mean, it can go it can go way it can go the way, Joe, where the defense didn't take a big step forward and the offense was about the same. I could see. I think there's a world where the offense gets worse and the defense takes a med major step forward. It's just hard to envision this team having a, an elite defense and an elite offense, like at the same time. Like it just there's nothing that when you try to project out something that it, it promotes that. But to what you said, can Oklahoma go 10 and two and make a big toll title and go to the sugar bowl? Yeah, I actually, I, that's what I have. I have Oklahoma playing Georgia in the sugar bowl this year. And I think seeing how you fare up against them in year one will be a great, you know, litmus test for Oklahoma fans. And I don't think that's a year to, uh, I don't, I don't think that's like a year to, be disappointed about either so that's kind of where i'm at with them and in terms of this season like if i had you know it sucks the when you say it like this i would i would i'm gonna group them the best that i can if you want to exclude the texas game because i don't think you can i think it's as much coin flip as any game ever you know kansas state baylor oklahoma state on the road um on the road at a place like texas tech on the road at a place like nebraska you go three and two in those games, I think you actually feel pretty good about yourself. I, I don't think people would be disappointed in that. Um, just don't lose to Oklahoma State. Just make sure one of those two losses is, isn't in Bedlam, and I think you'll be good. Two, well, I was going to say to clarify, I don't know if this is what you meant, but Baylor and Oklahoma State, both home games for OU, which honestly, the the schedule, how it's like set up over the last decade, 
that's been a great thing for Oklahoma when it's both games at home and not so much when you have to go to Waco and Stillwater, which you saw last year, which by the way, Keegan, I don't know how many times you went back and rewatched that OU Baylor game from last season. I turned it on uh, the other night because I was trying to like, I was trying to like look at some returning defensive guys. I'm not going to call out who because I was looking, not looking for reasons to be upset or anything like that, but just like, how did that season go as wrong as it did? So I went to the Baylor game. I wanted to see the Baylor. Game. I couldn't watch more than the first quarter. I, I had to turn it off. It, there was just so many, so many, and you probably articulate this a lot better than I can. Um, just, naturally but there is so much about that defense from last year that you just look at and you're just like where are you looking like why are you why are you standing here and there's just a lot of those moments i'm not going to name drop any players because i'm working on something uh, about that but to kind of get into the defense because that's kind of what uh, i wanted to get into first was reasonably for or i guess we've already kind of talked about the the win total but for the defense's sake I think a lot of people are expecting Brent Venables, you know, like early 2000s Brent Venables right away. I think, you know, a lot of people probably, you know, either think that's going to happen right away or think it's going to take some time. What I'm kind of getting at in year one or year two of Brent Venables, is this a defense? And obviously the baseline with Alex Grinch, it got better, you know, after the Mike Stoops era, but it slowly regressed. Can this defense be a top 40 defense. And I'm not just talking about yards allowed or scoring. I'm just talking like Keegan I test. Can they be in the top third of college football defense this season? Yeah. And I think that's where I have them at projected wise too. Whenever I looked out on this season, I think SP plus again, I, I, I use that as a baseline. I, I know other people use other metrics, but SP Plus has Oklahoma improving to being the second most improved defense in the country. And I think by like 5.9 points, I've got my sheet pulled up, um, but it is a massive jump. And when you went and listened to Bill Connolly and talking about how that came about on Gabe and Teddy's podcast. So Oklahoma, it has SP Plus is Oklahoma's defense improving by 5.2 points from a year ago. So they were a top 15 defense in SP Plus in 2020. So actually like a, borderline elite defense at the end of the year, maybe even more than that. And then they the bottom fell out a year ago, which again, I think that a lot of people focus on the quarterback competition and Lincoln and until about midway through the year, they finally started getting on board with me of like, okay, they didn't just only allow whatever 17 points to West Virginia. Like that was a bad 17 points. They allowed to West Virginia in that game and so on and so forth. And the defense this year, to some of the things you said before you asked the question, yes, the linebacker play last year was basically the reason why that defense fell apart. And that's they, what I'm glad you got the group that I was referring to. Well, we can we can get even more individualized if you want me to, but I also want to have potential clients after this podcast. So um, I think the biggest thing for me, like when you look at the sound and structure of all this. Like the way Oklahoma's personnel sets up fits into what Brent did at Clemson. Then Brent showed a 3-3-5 in the spring game, and that just throws my imagination wild. Like I I don't know like if they have the personnel to run that, but if they do, it would be really fun. Like you'd have Jalen Redmond as a nose, you'd have Ethan Downs at an end, you'd have Reggie Grimes at an end. Like that's probably the way they make that work. 
And then what happens to a guy like Clayton Smith? Like, I don't know. Like he kind of gets squeezed out of that, out of having a position at Oklahoma. But if they go to a four down defense, which is what Brent typically runs, I think everybody kind of fits in nice and cozy. I really do. Like you have guys that can play a two tech defensive tackle. You got guys that can be a stand up edge rusher and a two point stance. You've got a five tech defensive end. You've got inside linebackers. Oh, hey, you've got a guy like Jaron Canick that can run and play that cheetah position that uh, that Nick, kind of what that nickel position Trey Norwood played back in the day. Yeah, I think they've got the guys defensively to make this work. Again, I think you, people do not undersell how talented that defensive line was a year ago. Like that was a coming of something that doesn't happen very often at Oklahoma. Obviously, it underperformed. Um, but I think those guys' draft status were validated after the season ended, or they were validated with their draft status after the season ended. And I think that that kind of gives some room maybe, okay, can you meet me in the middle? SV Plus has them improving dramatically. How about they improve by about three points, right? Like structurally, discipline, foundation, and a coaching staff ability to adjust. I mean – you're about to get me on a tangent. I mean, there were times last year, Joe, where people that would watch games with me, I'm literally pointing stuff out that like, hey, they're going to attack Oklahoma this way. And lo and behold, some at some point early on in the game, they'd get into the same formation that had cost Oklahoma the entire year. They would run the same play and Oklahoma would defend it the same way every single time. That's not going to happen under Brent Venables. And that's the stuff that, Grinch was, again, got Oklahoma to a kind of an elite level of defense, not going to lie, like in 2020. And then the bottom fell out just because he was figured out and he wouldn't adjust. And what's so funny is that no one's talking about him with that, but we're talking about Lincoln with that. So it's uh, it's just this, the, the fact that they've got some structure defensively and a coaching staff that has proven on the biggest stage in the 2019 Fiesta Bowl that they're willing to adjust mid-game. They Brent Venables ran a brand-new defense after halftime. No one had seen it from Clemson. Literally ran out a brand-new defense after halftime, put Isaiah Simmons as the center field safety, and wrecked Ohio State. Like they, Ohio State couldn't do anything against it. And so I think that edge gives Oklahoma's defense a chance to improve this year, and I know we're about to talk about the offense, which is the uh, – a completely like whole 180 from the whole conversation about the defense to talk about the defense just a little bit longer because i think this is probably nationally not as discussed because they see they saw the first hire of brent's defensive staff ted roof defensive coordinator but he also brings in todd bates and jay Belai who also, for pay reasons, what have you, also have that co-defensive coordinator. It's very clear Ted Roof is going to be this, the the vocal, kind of the, the he's going to be the podium guy for the defense, um, which honestly probably, I'm sure that just kind of seeing how OU and the staff kind of operates, I'm sure Todd Bates and Miguel Chavis and all of those guys, they're probably fine. They're probably okay with Ted Roof fielding all the questions. Uh, at the same time, though, just kind of looking at what Oklahoma brings in a guy like Todd Bates. Uh, is that something, and obviously 
you you've mentioned just the elite defensive line play Oklahoma had last season. That's not something you just replace in an off season. You can get the portal. You can go and get Jeffrey Johnson, Jonah Lowell, like you can get whoever you're not, you can't replace that in off season. How much of an edge though, does Todd Bates give you just in terms of his track record of developing guys? Can it be an off season where that defensive line might not be as good as last season? but there's not maybe as big of a drop off as I think we've kind of seen year to year when, you know, a guy like Gerald McCoy or Charles Tapper or who have you, like those are just first, I don't mean to group those in like a group of their own, but just if it feels like Oklahoma has had a tough time replacing that defensive line talent, at least consistently or as frequently as probably fans would love. Do you think Todd Bates though makes a huge impact right away for Oklahoma's defense? Yes, and I think you're seeing where his biggest impact is going to come from. He has some skins on the wall over the last couple of years, and they're selling the heck out of Todd Bates, the NFL, the defensive lineman they've sold at Clemson. Now, of all the positions on defense where I think they very like clearly maybe didn't lose to they like they didn't gain more than they lost. Like there are areas on the new staff where like I think it's very apparent it was either, you know, pretty even or like the coach is worse. Like this Todd Bates certainly isn't worse, but I do think people forget how much better that defensive line got after Jamar Kane got to Norman. And it was very clear, even from people talking to people in my neck of the woods, that there was technique taught that Jamar Kane brought to the table that really aided those guys to continue in their development. Now, if Jamar Kane was given the full defensive line, could he have stockpiled it as full as he wanted? And I think Calvin Thibodeau deserves some due as well uh, with the job that he was able to do amidst multiple defensive coordinators and coaches and all that stuff. Todd Bates, though, they're going to have NFL bodies the next three years and not because of guys on campus, but because of the impact of a guy like Todd Bates has on the recruiting trail. Like it's just very obvious. So for this season, like I think what you've seen from them over the last couple of years outside of them slanting and stunting and coming off the field so much, I think you're going to see more of the same from that group, which could still be really good. Like, like that's not to diminish anything about Reggie Grimes or Jalen Redmond or, Ethan Downs, uh, Marcus Stripling, Isaiah Coe, and those guys, it's like nothing against them at all. It's just they're not Nick Benito and Perry on Winfrey and Isaiah Thomas. Like they're they're just they're not. Now, can you get a guy more committed than Perion? Probably. Will these guys be more committed than Perion? Probably. As Isaiah and Nick Benito, though, probably not. And so I think it's going to be more about the same. I mean, I think this defense structurally fits Reggie Grimes more than what the last defense did. And, like, this should really allow Reggie Grimes to turn into a, a better player than what we've seen from him, which is a super positive. Uh, a guy like Ethan Downs, like, we're going to need to see him bend a little bit more um, and be a little more flexible on the outside instead of just being a dominant force working inside. But outside of that, like, again, like I said, I think you're going to see more of the same. I think these guys, this defensive line is well-polished. I Again, I just, I think down the line, there's a big difference between having this group for one year and having what Clemson has right now, which I know you've seen me talk about them ad nauseum over the last seven months. 
Like that defensive line room at Clemson right now is unbelievable. Like as like it's to the point, Joe. I'm surprised Brent left that what this year. Like that defense at Clemson this year is going to be. Pardon my French, but I know I can cuss maybe once. Fucking nuts. Like I can't understate, overstate. Sorry, how crazy it is what Brent built at Clemson defensively. You can curse as much as you want. Um, no corporate backing, a little mom and pop newsletter. So you're all good. But as far as the defense at Clemson, I was going to say there is, I mean, the one thing that like is so exciting about this season, Keegan, is the unpredictability of everything kind of going on right now with college football. But you know, when we wake up on December 11th in a few months, that it's going to be Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, and Clemson in the college football playoff, and there's nothing we can do about it. I hope I hope that's not the case. That's I feel like that's where we're headed. Um, and feel free to tell me I'm wrong, but it just that like looking at what is kind of coming back, and we talk about you know a lot of these little I, almost kind of like distractions, like USC for example, like the most talked about eight and four team that'll probably get talked about. It's it's ridiculous, but. Uh, to kind of go back into the defense, because I did want to ask you one more thing. You, you mentioned Reggie Grimes. Who stands to benefit the most from this new staff? But is it is it a David Guaybu? Is it you know a Billy Bowman? Like who who on this defensive side of the football do you think can take a big leap as far as just like just from a pure development standpoint from being coached by a different guy? Oh, it's Danny Stutzman. Like is it Stutzman? By by the hype. By all of it, I I think that that guy is going to be a monster in this defense. Like, if you ask me, Joe, like why I think this defense can improve, like my first answer is Danny Stutzman, and that's not, not that because anyone. of and that's not because of anything Brent has said. I'm just trying to project what we saw a year ago with a little bit more polish from the coaching staff. Yeah, like. Again, because he's an Oklahoma guy, like love Brian Odom. I obviously he just landed a monster linebacker, uh, I believe in Tackett Curtis or whatever his name is. Curtis Tackett, I don't know. Um, obviously does a really good job recruiting. Like there were times last year, Brian Osimo had no idea where he was going. Like there were times last year, like David Aguaybu, like I was all aboard the train and it just fell off. Like tracks fell off all the cars broke like it like david aguaybe was broken a year ago and so i do think the staff does improve some of that but the one that hasn't wasn't around that old staff all that much and that can be i think kind of right because you talk about like habit building and all that stuff right like danny stutzman's building some habits i think for the first time in his life this year that are going to do him well as he plays football for the next 10 years of his life like that's how highly i think of danny stutzman you're making me feel good about my uh, not that anyone cares, but my All Big Twelve preseason team. I had Stutzman as a linebacker just to just to spice it up a little bit. Who else would be on that list? Daniel it's, Green, Kansas State. It gets a little weird because of how like I don't think the Big Twelve office has really caught up or any Dylan conference. Dylan Dylan Doyle, Daniel Green, and Demarvion Overshone. Would those be the other three? See, Dylan Doyle, Trump. Daniel Green, Marvin Overshone. Yeah, those are the three. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, that kind of makes sense. But 
Yeah, obviously. I think there's another guy in the league. There's two other guys in the league that I do like. Uh, Lance Dixon at West Virginia and D. Winters at TCU. Um, but I like I'm ready for like three games of Stutzman. Watch him like get you know let him play a little bit this year. Go back and watch the tape, and I'm ready to start figuring some more stuff out about him. I can tell you that. And for any people that don't know what I do these days, like, yeah, like I do NFL draft stuff. Like that's a guy I want to figure out. To transition to the offense, you seem to have a little bit more, I don't know if skepticism is the right word, but Jeff Levy comes from quite the intriguing coaching tree, just as far as obviously being, you know, a part of that. Uh, Bryle staff has worked under Josh Heupel, worked under Lane Kiffin. Now it is his time to run the show. And Keegan, just as much as you've probably watched Dylan Gabriel at UCF and what he did, um, I'm assuming you probably just even before Levy was hired, watch a lot of Lane. Uh, what do you think is a reasonable expectation for Jeff Levy in year one at Oklahoma? I think the first thing you always have to mention right off the bat, they're going to run like 15 more plays a game. Like, just be ready for it. It's going to happen. They're not going to stop. They're going to be, they're going to play fast. It doesn't matter who it is. Um, they're going to play with a lot of tempo. Now there's a counterpoint to that where you add plays, you decrease your efficiency, but kind of still have that same production, right? It's a little, some, those extra 15 plays are some ghost yardage that, Again, if you look at compared to the past Oklahoma offenses, they're running less plays, but being really explosive. That's how they're getting their production. This team will be more plays, not as explosive, but getting that same production, right? So like the underlying stats, the advanced metrics will, that's where you'll see it play out more. But in terms of like counting stats, Joe, like passing yards and, you know, yards per play and all that stuff that, that that you guys won't see a change from that all that much. Now, the passing game I think is super unique to talk about from the aspect of the defense that are now running the Big Twelve were not just built distinctly to stop Lincoln Riley. They initially were formed to stop Art Bryles because no one had an idea of how to stop that offense back in the day. So, like the defense the, the league there's now seven defensive coordinators in the league Joe running Iowa State's defense essentially and so again like how does that impact this kind of style of an offense in the passing game I don't know I think it does give them opportunity to be very quick I think the intermediate passing game could be really good I wonder about the you know the deep the deep balls and I wonder about some of the screen game but I do think they're still going to be productive in the passing game, just not near what they were. Where there is positive news, though, I am as bullish on the Oklahoma run game as I've been in three years since he had Jalen Hurts, since Jalen Hurts was in Norman. And not just because, like, QB run game, but obviously let's hope for Dylan Gabriel and Oklahoma fans' sake that they do not run the quarterback like they did Matt Corral the last two years. He had some answers against Mississippi State and Arkansas, and I've talked to some coaches in the industry that agreed with that. Like, Arkansas and Mississippi State ran the same defenses. They had a three-down front with three high safeties, and Levy gashed them. And he gashed them with adjustments and not just, like, game plan stuff, Joe. I'm talking, like, mid-game adjusting to the fronts, adjusting to how he's being played, and then – 
I don't even know if I saw Ole Miss run the same run plays they ran against Arkansas the entire season. Like that's that's how they attacked Arkansas. And they're, I, you had Jeff Levy with Bill Beatonbow, and I think that run game could be really, really good. Pending one thing, the offensive line got better this offseason, right? So that's how this whole thing plays together about Oklahoma winning a big toll title in 22. Like the run game could be good, which means those three high safety teams, Joe, are going to have to be a little more committed to the run game, which could open some stuff up over the top. Again, it sounds like basic football stuff, right? You run the fo- you run the ball to set up the play action and then tack over the top. Like it's as simple as that for Oklahoma this year on offense. Like if they can't run the football, people can stay in their three high looks, which takes away all- any explosiveness that they can have. But if they run the football well, they're going to run a ton of play action, a ton of RPOs, and I think it could benefit them now. The thing that I would add last before throwing it back to you, like they've had a top five offense for five straight years now. The offense a year ago, I think, finished like ninth in SP plus or whatever. So they've had a top, let's just say top 10 offense for five of the last six seasons. Is that where this offense is going to end up at? I don't think so. But, and you're going to notice a difference, but there's not a huge in terms of how it impacts the final record at the end of the year between a top 5-0 and a top 15 offense, there is a big difference between a top 70 defense and a top 40 defense, right? Like the offense can regress naturally a little bit because they don't have Caleb Williams and not to do any revisionist history on OU fans or anything, but Lincoln, that Lincoln Riley guy was pretty good at calling plays and designing offense. Like they're going to regress a little bit. I don't think it's going to be a huge thing. That's going to be causing a huge problem. Um, where it becomes a problem is the offensive line doesn't improve. And that is a absolute mammoth question on this team this year. Like you've got to have four of the five guys returning plus McCade Matower from, from Cal, like all five of those guys got to be better than what they put on tape a year ago. Uh, we didn't see one day Morris. So four of the five have to absolutely be better. And if they're not, Oklahoma is going to be in a lot of dog fights this year. And it's going to drive you guys mad crazy. I was going to say on the offensive line, I listen to probably way too many national college football podcasts. And I feel like kind of the default response about why OU's offensive line play has been down is because of a myriad reasons. But the specific one is that like Creed Humphrey isn't there anymore. I just feel like that's a product of Creed having a really good NFL career so far. But you mentioned it very early in this podcast, just the tackle play has not been there. And I feel like that's kind of over. I mean, talk about the guys that, you know, the 2018 offensive line, Joe Moore, Joe Moore award winning offensive line. And even before then, you know, going back all the way to, you know, 2015, they've just, they've had, you know, banger after banger after banger offensive line helps when you have, you know, Samaj P. Ryan, Joe Mixon, Rodney Anderson. I get that. But this line, I think, has a chance to take a step forward. And I'm just kind of curious. And if you don't have an answer, that's fine. We talk a lot about Dylan Gabriel having receiver talent, like receiver talent that he did not have previously at at UCF. Is it fair to say that offensive line-wise, not only Dylan Gabriel, but Jeff Levy, he's entering a situation where he might have his best offensive line of his young coaching career. Ole Miss last season, they ran Matt Corral out a lot. I don't know if that was a product of what they saw in that offensive line, but feels like if you trusted them more, maybe don't, you know, boot out your Heisman contending quarterback. <laughs> For sure. And I definitely know where you're going here. I I would say this, like 
the Ole Miss offensive line should have been better than what they were a year ago. And I think context is very important. Uh, kind of a bad dude. The former Baylor offensive line coach during the R. Bryles area was the offensive line coach at Ole Miss. And he got fired after the spring game last year or got let go. So Ole Miss didn't have an off, basically had the same offensive line coach. And again, I think that's pretty easy to point out why they underwhelmed a year ago. To say that they he has access to the best, that Ole Miss line two years ago was really good. I think this group has the potential and on a couple factors. For one, I think Chris Murray is, was a better player a year ago than what people gave him credit for. He would get one bad penalty in the first quarter and everybody would remember it, and then he would play solid the rest of the game. Uh, I think obviously Anton Harrison has to get better. I don't get it. Um, don't get me wrong. NFL draft Twitter, NFL scouts think he's a first-round pick. I have to take that information as in like these guys know what they're talking about, right? And they're seeing something. You nor I nor anybody listening to this would is would is sitting here today expecting him to be a first round pick, but there are a lot of people out there that think Anton Harrison's a first rounder next year. Obviously, he's got to got to improve. Wanda Morris, like you know, there's a lot of talk when you transferred that you would come in and be an immediate starter. You know, what does that look like? And so, does he have access to the better athletes? Yes. Does he have access to the better players right now? I think that's remained to be seen. That 2020 Ole Miss offensive line was a bunch of ass kickers, and they were really fun to watch, Joe. So, I mean, obviously that's the expectation for me. If that happens, we're going to be all in a really good mood because I'm going to drive a ton of engagement because you guys are going to be really excited, and Oklahoma's going to be playing well. Like, that's that, – again, if, Oklahoma – I've said this from how many months now, Joe? Since January. Oklahoma's offensive line is the biggest variable in the Big 12. Because if they end up having a good offensive line, that means they immediately have the best offensive line in the Big 12. And if they have that, as well as a top five defensive line and a deep defensive line league this year, yeah, Oklahoma's probably going to win the Big 12. Is that, to kind of close out, is winning the Big 12, Keegan Arnaud's president of RPM, regular franchise host, 107.7 FM, you might have heard of it. I'm also on there sometimes too. Keegan, what is your expectation for Oklahoma just as a whole? How do you see this season playing out? Yeah, like I said, I think they have five games that actually like there's like valid concerns that Oklahoma could potentially lose that and then not including the Texas game, right? So that'd be six. And so like it's hard to pick out one game because I think immediately for me, like this is the whole like odds probability conversation, Joe, like I don't know which game I would say Oklahoma will lose, but there's a cluster of six games, if you want to include the Texas game, that I think there's reasonable matchups within there that could be problemsome for them. Um, and so of those six games, do they go undefeated? Probably not. Um, are they absolutely losing to Kansas State this year? I don't know. Like, But I think that game's on the list of games that, you, that should concern you. So is Oklahoma going to make the Big 12 title game? Yes, is there a weird world, Joe, if you want to go down my crazy sick head about what I want to see in the Big 12 this year? Is there a world where Oklahoma is like an eight and four going and playing a Big 12 title and being a Big 12 championship at nine and four? Yeah, I think that's a reality that like we absolutely could be living in. Um, is there a chance that Oklahoma's eleven and one and playing a seven and five or eight and four football team? Like, I think that's a world we could be living in. Like, I like I said this yesterday. This league 
you talk to any statistician, you talk to any coach, scout, no one has any clue. Like we talk about the Pac-12 and the ACC, and don't get me wrong, I think the Big 12 is a better football league than both of those. I am as, as, as uncertain about the Big 12 as anything regarding football I've been in my entire life. Like I have no idea. I do think Oklahoma makes a Big 12 title game. I don't think a team from the Big 12 makes a college football playoff. But that kind of raises that weird question, Joe. Like if Georgia goes 11-1 in the regular season and plays Alabama in the SEC title game, they're probably going to be 11-2. and And a lot of people are picking them to make the playoff. And if you go around the country and kind of look at things, okay, Oregon plays Georgia. They could win the Pac-12, right? Well, if Oregon loses two games but wins the Pac-12 at 11-2, and well, Georgia's going to get in. Okay, let's keep going around Keep going around the country. Look at Notre Dame's schedule. They've got landmines everywhere with a good football team. Hell, they could be like 10-2. and two. Like, is there this weird door that you could walk through this year, Joe, where there's like, uh, say, Oklahoma loses to Texas as well as someone else and then beats Texas and someone else and makes a college football playoff with two losses? Like, like yeah, like I think that – I'm just going to say this. Like, my, I haven't put this out there. But I feel pretty good. Like the playoffs going to be Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson. I think there's room for a two-loss team this year to make the playoff. And in a world of chaos, if Oklahoma can somehow find a way to rise out of that and make a Big Twelve title game at eleven and one, Joe. Yeah, I mean, I think they're going to the college football playoff. And so, like, that's the that's the difference, right? Like, is Oklahoma good enough to go eleven and one versus maybe a nine and three? Yeah, I think that there's a world where that can happen. You're asking about like the most likely outcome. And these could all be these could all be the same like percentage outcomes too. Like the likelihood of going Oklahoma going 10 and 2 could almost be almost identical to them 9 and 3 or even 11 and 1. So I think again that's why it's such a mystery and to be long-winded and finally get something and stop hedging. Yeah, I've got them at 10 and 2 making a Big 12 title game, winning it, not going to the playoff and playing Georgia uh who lose who also goes 11 and 2. Based on the president that a two-loss team hasn't made the playoff, but there's so much intertwining, Joe, in college football this year with teams that are playing each other. Like, I think we're destined for a two-loss team to make it. You sufficiently took us through the roller coaster, and we have arrived at our destination. I feel like I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. Honestly, I might get the Kool-Aid Keegan thing going. It's Just one of those things. It it's one of those things where, like, my biggest talking point. For this heading for this team, Joe, almost everybody returns next year. Let's talk about 2023 here, like halfway through the season, because I could maybe feed you some really strong Kool-Aid um, about who Oklahoma can be in 23 with Alabama losing everybody. Ohio State's going to be depleted. Clemson's going to be depleted. So if you want to start getting your – you know, if you be like me and you head into this year for Oklahoma and it's like, <laughs> hey, anything can happen, as long as they show progress, Dylan Gabriel's not going to the NFL. Um, unless there's something unless he shows something this year that we haven't seen, he's not going to the NFL. So he'll be back. I mean, I remember a time, Joe, where Oklahoma had this big culture change, got rid of the the former staff was way some guy named Jerry Schmidt came in to be their strength and conditioning coach. They had a lefty quarterback transfer in from junior college. Again, I there's just so much connected to how this thing was in 99 that it's hard for me to see a world where if Oklahoma's playing football in the Big 12 in 2023, 
like everybody's expecting, there's a, I think, a good chance that maybe things are a little bit closer than what people can foresee right now. The potential landmine to that that I would counter with is just how much of a a pain in the ass the Big 12 wants to be with scheduling because do you, do you send Oklahoma to Provo and Wake oh yeah and oh oh he's playing in Provo oh no doubt <laughs> oh he's playing in Provo and they're going to Cincinnati those are going to be their two road games they're going to give them the two toughest teams that would be rough and that would be the way that I see that because I think that the league in 2023 of OU and Texas stay it's just objectively a better league you add that talent like you're not losing anything you're you're adding and you're adding four pretty quality football programs and that would be my one hang up but I I do appreciate your uh, candor for uh putting that out here on the show because I do think that while I'm I don't want to leave you to be the only one to say something on the show I think a very reasonable expectation for Oklahoma. 10-win season, go to the Big 12 title game. I think you're on board with this. I am picking Ema, Kansas State. Oh, yeah, that's my matchup. That's my matchup, yep. I very much see a reality where Oklahoma loses that September game and then gets the revenge in December. That feels right and just my OU football here's karmically how this season's probably going to go you can't script if Kansas State has the team I think they do you literally can't script a better schedule this year besides getting Oklahoma at home like that's the only thing they get Missouri at home Missouri's terrible they're awful I said I put that tweet out like I don't care I may never do work with Elijah Drinkwitz in my life now because of what I said (laughs) But that's one of the worst football teams I've watched in two years. Like they're so they're they underachieve way worse than what Oklahoma did a year ago. Like that's how talented that team is. And they're they're awful. They won like four or five games a year or they went to a bowl game. They played army. Um, But no, exactly the way you said, yes, I'm I think 10 and two win a big 12 title. Go play Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. Um, I don't know who they lose to. That Texas, Texas is due to win a game. I know you, Texas, at some like I think that's the perennial thought right now. No one's like, talking. I, I mean, you say perennial thought, but like I don't feel like that's talked about enough. It, it does kind of feel like this is a 50-50 ball game every year, regardless of how good Oklahoma or it, how good it, Texas are. I'm trying to get away with over the next month, Joe, only predicting 11 Oklahoma games and see if anybody will pick up on it <laughs> so I don't have to talk about OU, Texas. But – yeah, I mean, obviously they present a really unique challenge with if Oklahoma's pass defense is going to be stressed uh, like they haven't been stressed before in two to three years. I mean, they're I don't know how Texas is going to end up, but they're going to score a lot of points. They may give up a ton, too, but they're going to score a ton. I want to end on this because it's something that I've been workshopping. And if you're still listening to the podcast, you've earned to hear this take. Does PK make it to Dallas? That's a good question. To Dallas, yes. He'll yeah, he'll coach in OU Texas now. Could that be his last game? That would probably be his last game. And yeah, I mean, there's some old time there's some old takes exposed from my account on Pete Kwiatkowski. That is again, people think like I I am like against like old takes exposing. Like I'm not. It's just like, hey, I'm always big on hey, if you're gonna bring up something of the small negatives of like my big picture stuff that don't come true. Like, let's just talk about the things that were right. Like, hey, remember when I said Oregon was going to go win in the shoe last year and people were calling me crazy? Like, yeah, like, I, I do my homework. Now, some things fell through. 
Pete Kwiatkowski had a top 100 defense last year in Austin, which was really, really bad. Uh, yeah, if OU blows them, if, here's the here's the kicker. Here's the worst thing that could happen for Kwi- Pete Kwiatkowski. They play Alabama, and they're going to get smoked. They go on the, the road way, to – Pete Kwiatkowski, the defensive coordinator for Texas, if anyone's not following that. Sorry. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. And so, but they go on the road to Lubbock two weeks after that. Like that yeah. matched up before playing Oklahoma. If they give up a ton of points, yeah, Pete's going to get fired. I mean, it's very obvious. Like you're, you don't bring in Gary Patterson for no reason, right? Uh, shout out new Twitter follower, Gary Patterson of mine. We we had a hard, we had a bad relationship. He had blocked me after I had told him what Lincoln was going to do against him. And Lincoln did it and he wasn't prepared for it. So he blocked me because I called it out. And then he finally unblocked me, I think, after I started working with Parker, so which is all good. Oh, I'm still waiting for uh, old GP to unblock me on Twitter. I think it's time. What do you say? What do you say? Oh, man. I think I made a joke about, like, have fun in Shreveport to, like, a TCU writer or something <laughs> like that. And it was like August, and I think he just saw it by some happenstance. Oh, he's know. a, he's a, him and, him and, uh, him and uh, Hugh Freeze are totally like searching their names on Twitter, which I think is hilarious. Heavily online. Heavily Correct. online. Correct. <laughs> Keegan, this has been a lot of fun, man. I really appreciate you doing this. It's been fun to talk through probably the things that a lot of people are talking through right now, but we still have a month to go and we'll keep talking and keep talking until there's football on the field, which a month away from Oklahoma's week one matchup against UTEP. Keegan, Thank you so much, man. And uh, yeah, that about does it. That's well, thanks, man. For sure. <laughs> thanks for having me. And, you know, this is always fun and anytime, man, as you know.